Great to see you on this Lord's Day. It is January 1st of 2023, and God is on his throne today, and all of God's people said. Jesus Christ stands in his lordship over this entire year. And I think our worship team set such a right focus for us, calling us to a place of worship, because in worship there is also a place of renewal before God. I hope 2023 has a good ring for you. Most of all, I know this, God is faithful. And because of who he is, what happens in this year will be of his providence, but I believe that God has so much good for us as a people in this coming year. Hope you had a great Christmas. We did. Our daughter has been with us from LA and she returns today. The grandkids were with us too. And that's, that always makes the Christmas time such fun. I hope it was for you as, as well. You know, I am not necessarily the biggest fan of New Year's resolutions. But I am of priorities, of aligning our lives according to a set of values or priorities, according to the things that matter most. And so let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me, if you will, to the book of Haggai, near the back of your Old Testament, to the book of Haggai this morning. I've never met anyone who deliberately has planned to mess up their life. No couple begins their life together strategically trying to figure out how to grow apart. Not one of us sits down and develops a way that we can pile up debt to our eyeballs. And most of us do not consciously choose to push God to the margin of our lives. But all of those things can happen because of misplaced priorities. We live with misplaced priorities when we don't know or when we forget what's most important in life. But to change our lives, and who among us doesn't need some kind of change, we need to change our priorities. Life oftentimes gets the better of us. Life is busy. I'm fond of saying that just life itself is a full-time job and we can fill our lives every day with just doing normal things. Call it, if you will, the tyranny of the routine, but the habit of just doing the same thing again and again. But here we are on the first day of 2023, and I'm sure there is not a person here who is thinking, how can I do my best over the next 365 days to really mess things up? Stuff happens, I know. Trials come. But I want to spend a few moments talking this morning about the tyranny of the routine or the consequences of misplaced priorities. I want to be as clear and as brief as I possibly can, which is open for definition. But we have some kids with us this morning. It's always great to have our children with us and worship. In fact, if you are a child and you're here among us this morning, would you just stand for a moment and let us welcome you? Please stand. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you. 
grateful that you are all a part of our life and of our church and in our, in our service this morning. But with your Bibles open this morning to the Old Testament book of Haggai, they are probably not the most wrinkled or marked up pages in your Bible. It is, as I mentioned, near the back of our Old Testament. It's actually the third to the last book of the Old Testament. But I love this book for a New Year's Day emphasis because it's all about priorities or the danger of forgetting what is most important. The location of Haggai's book will tell you something about the time in which he ministered. So let me give you three specific important dates. One of those important dates, maybe the most important date in the Old Testament is 586 BC. That's when the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and sent thousands of Israelites off to Babylon in exile. That's 586 B.C. The Babylonians were later defeated by the Persians when then the greatest of all Persian leaders, a king by the name of Cyrus, permitted the Jews to return home to Jerusalem. That's in 538 B.C. About 50,000 Israelites are allowed to return home and they come back to a city that is in ruins and again a temple that had been completely destroyed. The prophet, prophet Haggai lived during that time. It must have been an exciting time when the Israelites were finally coming back to their homeland. And the task of building and rebuilding was overwhelming. The heart of the city, which was the temple, had been completely leveled But the returning exiles went right to work, and within two months, they had set the foundation for the temple itself. But some of the surrounding neighbors weren't too happy about the fact that the Jews were permitted to return, and this process of rebuilding had begun, and so they began to resist their efforts. And as a result, the work on the temple came to a grinding halt. They moved on to other things, and as far as rebuilding the temple, all momentum was lost. As the years passed, they built homes, they opened shops, they planted fields, they raised their families, so many good things. But for over a decade and a half, things were going along according to some routine. Things were kind of normal except for one thing, which actually happened to be the most important thing, the absence of the temple. And for the temple not to be rebuilt, for the temple to be still lying in ruins, had something to do then with the absence of the presence of God. The central nerve of the life of the people of God was missing. No central place for worship, no restoration of sacrifices. They got used to living without the temple of God, which is like saying they got used to living life without God himself. Something like that terrifies me. Because I know what the routine can do in my own life. So busy just existing, I don't see what I'm missing. For some, many years may pass before they see what they've actually overlooked. But here's where I want you to go with me for a few moments this morning. I wonder if in your mind's eye you can see anything that stands around you, maybe sits in in ruins around you, that is a monument to neglect. That is a monument to what you really haven't seen. And now your eyes are opening to it. 
Maybe it's your finances, your health. Maybe it's your marriage or other relationships. Maybe it's reading the Bible. Maybe it's even going to church. I may be preaching to the choir since you're worshiping with us on New Year's Day today, and I'm grateful for that. But we've seen some, we've seen some shocking developments in the church in America in the past few years. Some of it may have been caused by the pandemic, or at least accelerated by it, but the decline in church attendance was pretty widespread before the pandemic began, and again, has only been enhanced. And I was rather surprised recently to to read from a respected church consultant that only 8% of all churches in America are 250 people or more, and that is a radical redefinition of what, if you will, a large church church is. Now, I know that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches throughout America, but the overall church attendance has significantly dropped. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of a worship community. Thank you for saying, you know what, in, in, in light of all that's been going on in my life, it's, it's being a part of a community that trusts God, that looks to God, that believes in the faithfulness of God. That's what I want to give my life to. But for so many people, even going to church has become one of those misplaced priorities. And this is where Haggai's message for us is so helpful. Here's the third date. It is the summer of 520 B.C. And the prophet then drives home a message the people needed to hear. And there is such good for us to hear in this message this morning as well. Just Haggai chapter 1, and I'll begin reading right at the head of this book. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Here's the resounding beginning of his message. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Some of you may feel that. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. 
and the words of Haggai the prophet as the word of God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And mark it, Haggai is saying, on the 24th day of the month and the sixth month and the second year of Darius the king. It became such a momentous moment for them that the date is forever etched in the records. The first thing I want you to see in our text this morning is the problem that Haggai confronted. In verse 3, you see it again. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And then two times, in verse 5 and in verse 7, God says, consider your ways. What a great theme. What a great theme at the start of a new year, consider your ways. Take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over. The Amplified Version says, thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. So the burden of Haggai was simply this, to get the people to reorder their lives by first taking stock of where they are. Their problem was that they didn't know what mattered. Verse 2 again says, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. I don't know how they muttered that to one another. Maybe they said things like, it's just not convenient right now. Relationships with our neighbors need to improve. It's all that I can do right now to provide for my family. They all seem together to be saying something to the effect of, we'll do it when the time is right. I am, I'm haunted by those words because I know how often I've said something just like that. God, I can't do it right now because I've got so many other things on my plate. I'm pretty busy. Things are crazy with kids and school and sports. The house needs repair. It's a really hectic time in my life right now. I'll get around to it when I can. And all the while, God is looking at the clock and he is saying, so is it the right time for you to focus on yourself? Here the language is to live in paneled homes. That would have been nice back in that day. While you neglect my house. The temple was important, again, of course, because it represented God's presence on earth. It was to be a matter of priority, but they misplaced it. Verse 2 rattles me, progressively so, because it begins by saying, God saying, these people. You know, you do that in your own family. Dad, sometimes you do, do, you do that when, when you say to your wife, you know, you're kids right now. And there's a sense of detachment in those words. That's what God is doing here. These people, there's, there's a sense of estrangement there. It's as if God is saying these people are strangers to me. I, I don't know you. And then he adds, these people say. 
What strikes me is that God, of course, knows everything, and he knows our thoughts. Therefore, he knows everything we say. He knows our thoughts even before we verbalize them. And so he also hears all of our lame excuses. Someone has said that an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. We excel at giving reasons for why we don't do what we ought to do. And here is Haggai's main point. It's always the right time to do what matters. It's always the right time to do what is important. We say things like, God, I'll I'll get around to it. I'll read your word when I get more time. When things are a little bit more consistent, when the kids are older, when my finances start to improve, we get preoccupied again with the routine, just like the Israelites here were, and we allow legitimate things to push God out of the center of our lives. Sometimes the enemy of the best are the good things we do. Again, they were doing normal things. Haggai tells us in this opening chapter, they were sowing seed, they were eating and drinking. Can you get any more sense of normalcy than that? But all they were experiencing as a result of all of the efforts that they were giving to other things was nothing but frustration. It's interesting. And their frustration became the excuse for their spiritual indifference. And yet what is so striking about this passage is that God says, I'm behind all of that frustration. If you feel like there's not enough money at the end of the month, if you feel like you're putting it in a bag, he says, and there are holes at the bottom of that bag, that's my doing. Strange words from God. Because the prophet is actually saying that it is our spiritual indifference that is the cause sometimes of our frustrations. So the prophet goes on to make this startling statement in verse 9, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I, God speaking, says I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. God is saying, I'm, I'm the one who's been short-circuiting all of your endeavors They were actually working harder, yet getting further behind because God was blocking their satisfaction. We often experience frustration and disappointment because we are neglecting again what matters most. That's the problem that Haggai confronts. Look at the remedy he offers. Haggai calls them, and you'll mind the cliche, but it's so good, it's so right, He calls them to put first things first. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And the end of verse 8, I think, is the key to the entire passage. It is all about the glory of God. What are you living for? The chief end of man is to enjoy God to bring him glory in all that we do. But the problem here, the problem with us often, is the neglect of what matters most. And that neglect was all about their indifference to God. 
And as a result of failing to live for the glory of God, they were experiencing nothing but frustration because we know that if you seek the gain of the world and you lose the pursuit of the glory of God, it will be something of constant frustration in your life. That's why Jesus said it so clearly in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Jesus is simply saying what Haggai is saying here, get your priorities straight. C.S. Lewis was famously known for saying, put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. But put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. Haggai would agree with that. One more thing I want you to see, and that is the response of the people. Was Haggai's message effective? Absolutely. And it was especially effective if you, if you measure it by fast obedience, first-time obedience, immediate obedience. There were five dimensions of their obedience. Just note them quickly with me. In verse 12, there was a unity there. Everybody got involved. In verse 13, the response was met with God's insurance. God went from saying, these people, to I am with you. What a shift. God says, you're acting like strangers. Now God says, I am assuring you of my presence. Thirdly, it was spirit motivated. Verse 14 is such an important verse because we're told the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and then stirred up the spirit of all the remnant together. Everybody is motivated. Everybody is moved by the spirit of God and they come and they work and they rebuild the house of God. And finally, it was enthusiastic. On the 24th day of the sixth month, he marks the time and the date when they got to work. They stopped making excuses and did what was necessary. So what do we do with this? Sounds like a pretty relevant message for us, to be honest. But what do we do with what Haggai has said to us here? Let me close with several steps I want to encourage you to take. First of all, the message of this first chapter, really the message of the book of Haggai, is to consider your ways. And what better time to do it than on the first day of a new year to take stock and inventory of your life. Let me encourage you today, and maybe if you have tomorrow off as well, maybe spend an hour today, maybe an hour tomorrow, and simply sit back and take stock. Consider your ways. At some point, just do an evaluation. Check your current patterns. Ask God to help you identify any misplaced priorities, and if your priorities are confused, and you're feeling overwhelmed and frustrated, let him redirect your path. When it feels like everything is equally important, that's when we get so overwhelmed and stressed out. Everything does not have the same weight. So take stock, identify misplaced priorities, and then number two, identify the first things in your life. In other words, what will be those set of priorities that you will live by this coming year? How do you discover them? You ask yourself the question, what is most important? What ultimately matters in life? Answer that question and then one by one ask, well, what comes after that? And what comes after that? Let the word of God be your guide. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those priorities to you, but what will be the set of values or priorities that you will live by? We, we give our time to what matters most. Oftentimes we say, I don't have enough time for that. You have enough time for your priorities. Let the non-essential things take care of themselves. Give yourselves to the priorities that God has set. And as for Christians, that obviously means God comes first. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. Give God the first of your time. Give God the first of your plans. Give God even the first of your income. But set him first. And then begin to arrange the set of priorities in your life. Take stock. Identify the first things that come first. Number three, fight procrastination. Procrastination is a clear signal to all of us that we're living with confused priorities. Messy priorities give you an overwhelming feeling, so if you, you have no idea where to start, and so you don't do anything at all, you have to fight that. Stop thinking about someday. Stop thinking about when the moment is right. But find what those priorities are and then live accordingly. And the number four, pray for a stirring of the Holy Spirit. Just as the Holy Spirit stirred Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest and then all of the remnant, pray for a stirring of the Holy Spirit in your life today and throughout this coming year. Let me close with just a couple of thoughts. Even as I think about this coming year, you know, when it comes to really placing God first, there are several Bible reading plans that we would like to recommend to you for this coming year. If you go to our church app, you'll find three different reading plans. First is the Bible Recap Program. Amy Morgan has been leading this now for, for several years. That's reading through a portion of God's Word and then spending some time going through a recap with that. It's an online platform, and so we would encourage you, if you want, to, to look at the Bible Recap. The second is just a chronological reading plan. You start at the beginning of the Bible, and it's just a plan to read through it every day for the next year. And then there's a third plan that you'll find through our church app. This is also listed for us, therefore, online, is a thematic reading plan. It's, it's the entire Bible organized according to themes or topics. And, and throughout the year, for 365 days, you are reading passages of the Bible that are interrelated with one another. I think those are three marvelous plans that we propose to you. Again, go to the church app. We do have a couple of copies of both the chronological reading plan as well as the thematic reading plan at our table in the commons. Read the Bible this coming year. We cannot do without hearing the voice of God in our life every day. Here's something else that is on the leadership's heart of our church for the pastoral staff, for our elders, for our mission board. We are entering as a church into, I think, an exciting and significant moment, especially for the first five, six months of this year. It actually began back on December 10th 
as we are walking through what we have communicated to you a little bit in the past, um, a, a missions consultancy. Our church has, has aligned itself with, Matthew, with, with 1615 and Matthew Ellison in his leadership. And for the next five months, our, our leadership, and we are now calling you as a church to that, to this moment of, of really setting forth a, an Acts 13 atmosphere and spirit. If you were to go to Acts 13, you would find the church of Antioch with its five key leaders praying and fasting and worshiping the Lord for what their direction in terms of global missions and local emphasis should look like. And we don't want this just to be among the leadership of our church. We truly want to invite you and call you as a church to join us in this process of seeking the face of God for what he wants for us in terms of our global impact, not just this coming year, but for years to come. One of the things I love about our church is our commitment to missions. You make a, a large investment as a church into our missionaries, into what it's all about to take the gospel to the ends of the world. But I do believe that God is going to be calling us into a whole new chapter of what that will look like for us here at LCC in the years to come. But we're entering into that period right now. And we want to invite you to pray with us, to engage with us. We'll give you updates along the way in terms of where we're going. But pray for leadership, pastoral staff, missions board. Pray for our church because here's what we're committed to. Of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unreached peoples of the world. Across the street and around the world. May the spirit of God stir us up in extraordinary ways as we follow him faithfully this coming year. And with that, I don't think there's any more appropriate time for us than on a Sunday, but on the first Sunday of a new year to share in communion together. Pastor Mike is going to come. I hope you've received a cup. If you haven't, we would really do encourage you to get up right now and go receive one in the commons, come back. Don't miss this moment in time. Parents, we would encourage you just to sit with your kids, and if you need to talk with them quietly through this process, feel free to do so. But let's seek the face of the Lord together. Father in heaven, we're grateful for your presence. And thank you for the assurance that you are indeed with us as we seek to put first things first, as we seek to arrange our lives according to the priorities that matter. May this coming year be a year in which we as your people were so filled with your spirit that you stir us on to new works, new acts, even new priorities. And as we pause now for an extended time just to be before your presence, to acknowledge Christ as our host, to remember what he did for us at the cross, he gave his all. And now, Father, at the start of this year, we want to give our all to you.
So come now. Oversee this sacred moment. For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Pastor Mike. I believe it's very fitting that we began this year